Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Julie Stampler. It's definitely not felt like the time for love in the last couple of weeks. We've been seeing more about hate, more about ugliness. But in there, there are moments, there have been moments, moments of unity, people gathering, people protesting, people making their voices heard. Sure, there's also been some not-so-peaceful moments, people looting, people rioting. Not excusing it, but I try to understand it, and I can separate the difference between the rioters and the protesters. And sometimes they are very different. Sometimes they were out-of-state agitators coming in to just wreak more havoc. But I'm not going to get into that right now. A lot of discomfort going on, a lot of anger, a lot of exhaustion. Systemic racism continues to plague our country. It's actually one of the signs that I caught when I was at uh, a protest over the weekend. We're dealing with two pandemics, coronavirus, racism, two viruses that are killing people, making people sick. Coronavirus has no cure. Racism does. Racism is a choice. I am learning about my complicity in perpetuating the systemic racism that plagues us. And I pledge to work on it. It's what I can do. I can listen. I can stand up. I can march. And I'm not a marcher. I tend to shy away from big crowds like that. They kind of wig me out a little bit, but... During this virus, we're actually staying uh, out on Long Island in this small little town. So I figured, there's a protest. Might as well, you know, try it out, because maybe it won't be that big. I certainly didn't expect it to be that big, because, you know, where we're staying, it's not that big. So I was surprised when I got there. It's a good handful of people. And then another handful, and another handful, and another handful, and it ended up being a few hundred people that showed up. I was duly impressed. And there were some very brave and eloquent people of color who spoke, who shared their anger and frustration and their misery and their sadness. One of the things that I kept hearing was that uh, part of my job as an ally as a white person, is I need to be uncomfortable. I need to find the discomfort before I can truly be an ally. Because without it, I, I can't, I mean, I'll never understand. I won't. I can certainly listen and I can get a picture, but I'll never understand what it's like to walk into a store and have someone follow me just because I'm walking around shopping. Nope. So I'm looking forward to being uncomfortable. I'm looking forward to confronting my privilege. It's easy for, you know, people, white people, to say, oh, but not me. I'm not racist. I have black friends. Or I'm not racist. I love that Kevin Hart. Or Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor or Michael Jordan. You know, fill in the blank with any black celebrity you want. So it's easy to say that you're not racist, but the reality is when you, when you do that, I have black friends. Yeah, 
You're racist. That doesn't excuse you. I was worried, you know, going to the protest because of the virus. You know, because I was like, all right, is everybody going to be wearing a mask? And yeah, actually, everybody was wearing a mask. And it was definitely difficult to be socially distanced. Uh, but the reality is, uh, again, you know, guess what? My skin color doesn't make it difficult for me to get medical treatment. Holy crap. But some of the statistics that I've heard, people of color have a much harder time getting treatment. Women of color die at much higher rates than white women during childbirth. I read another story, statistic, that doctors assume that women of color have a higher pain threshold. So they don't believe them when they say they're hurting. Now, women of color, they do have a higher threshold, a higher threshold for bullshit, because that's what they deal with on a regular basis. Higher threshold for not being heard, higher threshold for not being listened to. So most of the time they suffer in silence because no one believes them or listens to them. And then by the time it is evident that they are not well, it is too late a lot of the time, because we do not respect their voice. That has to change. I heard a lot of that at this march. It gets me angry. So here we were, you know, hundreds of us in this little teeny tiny cute little town. We we're going to march down Main Street with all these super fancy schmancy shops and lattes and costume jewelry. But we're going to march down Main Street, make our voices heard. So we're marching down. All of a sudden, everything seems to stop right smack in the middle of Main Street. And one of the organizers, really awesome young kid, he's angry. He takes a hold of the bullhorn, mic, whatever the thing was. And he starts screaming. This isn't a protest. This isn't a march. We're taking a walk. They're dictating what we do, when we do it, where we do it, how we do it. And it's not like he was suggesting we break windows and steal shit. That's not what he was saying. But he was definitely feeling constrained by the moment. So he shifted things up a little bit. Next thing I know, he's told everybody to lay down. So all of a sudden, I look around. Three quarters of the marchers are laying on their bellies with their hands clasped behind their backs as if they were handcuffed. Same way George Floyd was laying, except George Floyd had a knee on his neck, constricting his airway, making it difficult for him to breathe, inevitably causing his death. George Floyd was murdered on the street in broad daylight. And now here we were, being asked to lay down the same way George Floyd did. Eight minutes and 46 seconds, George lay there in pain, fearing for his life so much so that he soiled himself, so much so that he was calling out for his mama. So at one point, as we're sitting there, I wasn't in a place to lay down, but it helped in the sense that I could watch and witness, and I think that's just as important. But so this guy got up in the middle of all of this, about halfway through the 8 minutes and 46 seconds that uh, we were going to stay there to honor George Floyd's memory. 
This gentleman identifies himself as a teacher and then confessed that even as a black man laying on the ground for even four minutes was too hard for him. And he didn't have a knee on his neck. It was too much. It was too overwhelming. He was too angry and he was too tired. And he began to implore us to recognize that while this was just an exercise for us, that we need to stand up and continue standing up and continue the effort to make change. And then he started chanting, started to call out, Mama, just like George Floyd did. Mama, say his name. George Floyd, screamed the crowd. Say his name. George Floyd, Mama, say her name. Everyone knew. And everyone screamed back, Brianna Taylor, say her name, Brianna Taylor. Last I checked, people who murdered Brianna Taylor still, on the loose, have not been charged. This was when the tears started to flow again for me. Chanting continued, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. We got up, we marched back to the lawn few more people spoke, but it was the white woman who grabbed the mic towards the end of the protest. My age, just about, somewhere around there, mom shared a story. Her pain, her pain for her children, biracial children. Story about her daughter, who is brown-skinned, who the day after the election in 2016 was told by a fellow student, how does it feel? that our new president's going to send you back to the country you came from. She's American. So they reported it to the school. You know what happened? Not a damn thing. So much not a damn thing, that kid ended up becoming the class president. That's got to change. And I give that woman credit and that young lady credit because they spoke out. And this was a couple years ago. And now here this woman is, crowd of hundreds, Black Lives Matters protest. And she is speaking out again. She is calling it out. And that's what we need to continue to do. We need to call it out. And maybe we'll see a shift. Hopefully we'll see a shift. Even if that shift means that the termites crawl back into the cave they came out of in 2016, at least then we can mobilize So that when they decide to creep their heads out again, they realize the only way out is anti-racism. That's up to us. That's a change we have to make. can call out uh, the spirit of Whitney Houston because here I am saying, yeah, I believe that children are our future. I look at my children. I know they are our future because... My boys wouldn't hesitate to vote for a qualified person of color, wouldn't hesitate to vote for a qualified queer person, wouldn't hesitate to vote for a qualified woman. So that's why I have hope, because the generations coming up behind us, they know better. And they're more willing to learn, more willing to be made aware. Children, that's who we look to now. And then... My surprise, a a Facebook friend of mine 
posted this incredible drawing that he credited to his 16-year-old niece. And I was blown away. 16-year-old niece. Her name is Sylvie. I actually reached out because I needed to connect with her. Sylvie gives me hope. Sylvie drew an incredible poster, piece of art. It's more than just a poster. It's a piece of art memorializing George Floyd. Here's a 16-year-old young lady, white young lady who gets it, who understands Black Lives Matter, and who understands that she has to be part of the change, and she is because her heart shares the pain and it was poured out onto the canvas. George Floyd's picture she drew by hand. I'm going to put it up on Instagram so you can see it, but I'll describe it to you. Right? We've all seen the picture of George Floyd, and that's what she drew from. And then behind him, there's words, big words. And it was these words that shook me. Sylvie wrote, who is next? Who is next? Because it won't stop with George Floyd. Hell, it didn't stop with George Floyd. Who is next? In the I... The letter I in the word is, there's some words there. It says, hide, don't stare, be careful, show hands, don't show threat. A few other things. I asked Sylvie about those words. She told me they were from a TikTok video she saw from a, a black guy explaining the rules that his mom shared to him as he was growing up, just in case. He was confronted with a police officer. Hide. Don't stare. Be careful. Show hands. Don't show threat. Can you imagine having to impart these rules to your children before they walk out the door? It's unbelievable. But now I get it. Now that we've seen, now we've seen, we saw George Floyd being murdered on video. Can you imagine how many we haven't seen? I was impressed with Sylvie and I told her so and I asked her, you know, how she learned about Black Lives Matter. And she said she learned it a couple years ago, became aware of it, and has ever since stayed connected through social media. And she shares her message on social media as well. But that she's kind of always had an awareness of racism from a young age. And she's still young. But this is why I say children are our future. She watched her peers of color get excluded, get left out, get made fun of. She remembers vividly from middle school when a Chinese friend of hers was made fun of because of the shape of her eyes. This is why Sylvie is change. Because she knew then it was wrong. She knew then it made her uncomfortable. She knew then she had to do something. So Sylvie shares her art. She is hope. My children are hope. Because we have to teach them. We have to learn ourselves. But we're going to do that. We're laying the groundwork because we can't continue to see videos of people killed in the street. Especially by people who are supposed to protect and to serve us. I found some more hope in this last week. First sliver of hope. Other than seeing all these people come together at the protests, there was a little sliver of hope that I caught in my hyper-allergic newsletter. Hyper-allergic, super cool uh, newsletter about just art and culture and fun things. I will, uh, I'll put a link on the social. Uh, but so, so hyper-allergic talked about a shortcut 
that a young man created for people who are going out and protesting and then who want to share pictures, uh, which we all kind of do because some of the signs I've been seeing, you know, they're just amazing. Uh, But we realize that, you know, when you're out at a protest, it's a very public thing. Your picture might get taken, your face might get shown. And for some people, that might be a little uncomfortable. Uh, Some people, you know, don't want to end up on lists even though we're all probably on every list. <laughs> but so so this guy created a shortcut. At the moment, it's for iPhone users only, but uh, it seems like he's going to be working on how, how to help Android users as well. But he didn't want to make it into an app, so it's a shortcut that you can add to your iPhone. And so I did it, right? I went through and followed the link from Hyperallergic. Again, I'm going to post the story. Uh, and I went through the process of adding the shortcut to my iPhone, and then I tried it out. So what happens is you choose a photograph and the shortcut will actually go through and scrub faces and blur them out so you can't see who it is. And then it actually will scrub the metadata from the photo so that you actually can't figure out where it was taken, what time, location, etc. It's pretty freaking cool right? So for all of you who are going out and protesting and you want to share your pictures, get this shortcut, Blur Faces it's called. You could probably just Google Blur Faces iPhone shortcut and it'll take you to the link. But like I said, I'll put it up in the social. So that gave me hope. Someone created this. Next sliver of hope came in the form of okra. Not Oprah, as in Winfrey. Okra as in the vegetable. Yeah, slimy delicious okra. (laughs) If you have never tried gumbo from Nolens or fried okra, you don't know what you're talking about if you don't think it's good. Get on it. And then while you're at it, download the app eatokra.com is where you can get it. Go to the app store Eat Okra. What is Eat Okra? It is a database of black-owned restaurants. Taking the nation by storm. <laughs> well, at the moment, it's it's in a lot of big metropolitan cities, but you got a black-owned restaurant, you want to get listed at Eat Okra, go ahead to eatokra.com and submit your black-owned restaurant. All you got to do is put in your, your area, put in the type of cuisine you're looking for, and it will find you a black-owned restaurant that you can support. Do it. Download Eat Okra, then order some okra, support Black-owned businesses. This is how we affect change. There are tons of lists being put together for Black-owned businesses. Do some research. Next time you're looking to buy something, I don't know, you want to buy a blanket for a new baby? I bet you you could Google Black-owned business baby blanket making and you would find something. Take a step. It's pretty easy. You need it anyway. I don't have a love letter for you this week, but I have a poem. Poem shared with me by Chaima S.G. Thank you, S.G. It's a poem by Mary Oliver from her collection called Blue Horses. And when S.G. read this poem, I was struck. This poem is called The Country of Trees by Mary Oliver. The Country of Trees. There is no king in their country, and there is no queen, and there are no princes vying for power 
inventing corruption. Just as with us, many children are born, and some will live, and some will die, and the country will continue. The weather will always be important, and there will always be room for the weak, the violets, and the bloodroot. When it is cold, they will be given blankets of leaves. When it is hot, they will be given shade. And not out of guilt, neither for a year-end deduction, but maybe for the cheer of their colors, their small flower faces. They are not like us. Some will perish or become houses or barns, fences and bridges. Others will endure past the counting of years. And none will ever speak a single word of complaint, as though language, after all, did not work well enough was only an early stage. Neither do they ever have any questions to the gods, which one is the real one, and what is the plan? As though they have been told everything already, and are content. The end. They have been told everything already, and are content. To be a country of trees. To just find contentment in our every day. It's not today. And it's not going to be tomorrow or next week, but maybe someday we will figure it out. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Sylvie for sharing her artwork and her uncle for sharing her artwork in the first place. Thanks to Eat Okra. Thanks to all of you who are out there protesting and making your voices heard. And to everyone who is listening to the messages being shared. And to you for being here and for being there. This is love in the time of COVID-19. I'm Julie Stampler. Stay safe and stay well.